I invite you this morning to turn once again to the gospel text, which we find in the lectionary today. It takes us back again to Matthew, uh, the book of Matthew, the 21st chapter, uh, starting at the 33rd verse today. And so as we went through Corinthians, we kind of got to go chronologically. We took a chapter uh, each week. Sometimes we were able to cover the whole chapter. Other times, not quite so much because it was a longer chapter or there was just too much in there. Um, as we look to the lectionary, sometimes the lectionary takes us through the gospel in that way. And this is one of those cases where last week we looked at chapter 21 and stopped at verse 32. Today we're looking at 21 again and pick it up right at verse 33. So we're kind of continuing uh, the story uh, for, that we, that we uh, encountered last week. And so um, if you're, as you're able, out of reverence for the reading of the word, would you stand uh, as I read today from Matthew chapter 21, uh, verses 33, starting in verse 33 and reading through the end of the chapter, verse 46. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. Then he rented it to tenant farmers and took a trip. When it was time for harvest, he sent his servants to the tenant farmers to collect his fruit. But the tenant farmers grabbed his servants. They beat some of them, and some of them they killed. Some of them they stoned to death. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first group. They treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come on, let's kill him, and we'll have his inheritance. So they grabbed him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. When the owner of this vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenant farmers? They said, He will totally destroy those wicked farmers and rent the vineyard to, another tenant, to other tenant farmers who will give him the fruit when it's ready. Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that God's kingdom will be taken away from you and will be given to a people who, will produce, who produce its fruit. Whoever falls on this stone will be crushed, and the stone will crush the person it falls on. Now, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard the parable, they knew Jesus was talking about them. They were trying to arrest him, but they feared the crowds who thought he was a prophet. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Please have a seat. <clears throat> this past week... Um, I heard, a, I heard a preaching joke, not one of those ones where, you know, like a preacher, a preacher, a rabbi, and, you know, somebody walks into a bar, not one of those. Um, on Tuesday, Debbie Val and I had a chance to get away to Nampa and met with a number of, other of pa number of other pastors from our district, from the Intermountain District, um, and one of the sessions we had together uh, was, was on preaching. Uh, and they had brought a, kind of a panel up, three different pastors on our district to kind of share in this panel and talk to us a little bit about preaching in these days and the different uh, 
different place that we are kind of today with all that's going on um, in America. One of the pastors is really faithful to preaching from the lectionary, and he was laughing because sometimes in the lectionary you come across these, these hard texts or these, these passages that are kind of difficult to preach or have, have a difficult word for us. And he says, you know, these weeks come up, and he's like, hey, it's not my fault. <laughs> I didn't pick the text. This is, this is where the lectionary sent us. Uh, and the text this week is a little bit that way. The text this week is, is, is a little hard to preach. We have mistreatment. We have abuse. We have murder. We have the, the religious folk talking about revenge. We have Jesus talking about being rejected. We have the Pharisees plotting Jesus' arrest, but being scared of the crowd and their response. <laughs> Happy Sunday, everybody. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came to church today? As we, as we take a look, as we, as we take a look at the parable this week, um, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting parable. A lot of times Jesus taught in parables, and we've, we've become familiar with this habit of his. He likes to tell a story. He'll tell a story and, and, and illustrate a point with it or, or teach a lesson with it. And we talk about Jesus' parables often. Now, a parable is usually a, a fictitious story of characters, and, and it points to a message that Jesus wants to get across or a lesson that he's trying to teach. And this parable is, is a bit unique. In, in this instance, this parable doesn't really fit that model as well. It's more of what somebody might call an allegory. Uh, this is more of a story in which the characters of this fictitious story represent real characters in life and in the world and in actuality. Uh, and so uh, as we take a look at it, as we, as we look at this parable that, that's kind of allegorical in nature, we discover that the landowner of this parable is God and the vineyard is the nation of Israel. That the vineyard that he's talking about is, is the nation of Israel. And that would have been a, a common way to describe Israel. Um, as you take a look at the, the lectionary, um, we have the, the New Testament read for us um, from one of Paul's epistles. But the Old Testament text for this week is, is found in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 5, um, and the first seven verses. Um, and if, if you want, you can turn there with me really quick. In Isaiah chapter 5, in the first seven verses, that's the lectionary reading from the Old Testament, it talks about a vineyard. It talks about a vineyard and, and the nation of Israel being seen as a vineyard. Um, it talks about how uh, this vineyard had been set up on a, on a fertile hillside and, and the owner of the vineyard had had, had had this fertile hill and planted a vineyard on it. The stones were, were cleared. The soil had been tilled and a choice vine had been planted. That the landowner had done all this work and set up this, this vineyard in the right way and, and done all the preparation. <laughs> I can't grow anything. I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't do the, the green thumb thing at all, but this, this owner had, had prepped the soil, set up this garden. But as you read down through this section in Isaiah, it says... He expected it to grow good grapes. This is the second verse. He expected it to grow good grapes, but it grew rotten grapes. 
<laughs> this is the kind of gardening that I can, I can identify with. It didn't, it didn't work out the right way. The owner had done everything and, and planted a, a good vine. But instead of lush and flavorful grapes that were useful and, and tasty, the harvest was rotten. The harvest was sour. And Isaiah reveals that the vineyard will be destroyed, that the walls will be torn down, and we understand that this is Israel's story. That, that in the time that Isaiah was, was prophet, as, as he spoke his, his message and his prophecy to the nation of Israel, that Israel was going to lose its land. That they would be hauled off, carried into exile. Jerusalem would be destroyed. And the vineyard didn't produce the fruit that it was intended to produce. The readers of the Gospel of Matthew back in, in New Testament days would be very used to seeing Israel as the vineyard, seeing as they, they truly believed that God had planted their nation, that God had given them the promised land. This was a part of their heritage. God had been the landowner and planted them in the promised land to become the people of God. He had built this vineyard. God had built this vineyard. God had protected this vineyard. And, and even after the passage in Isaiah where they sent, were sent off to Babylon, the nation of Israel would return, would come back and reestablish themselves. For God had built the vineyard. God had protected it. God had stabilized it. God had blessed it. And they saw themselves as the nation of God. But Jesus tells this story about the landowner sending his servant back to the vineyard. It was harvest time. It was the time for collection. Has anyone noticed that fall has arrived? <laughs> Autumn is here. Did you feel the, the air as you walked in the church? There's, there's just a, a, a bite to it. A fresh breeze that blows through the land. Harvest time is coming. Harvest time is coming, and, and the air will fill with, with the, the smells and the, the sights of harvest in the coming weeks and in the coming months. And that's the time that we break into this story. It was the time of collection, and he sent the servants back to collect what was his. This is, the, this is a common practice. This was a common practice in New Testament days, that the landowner would set up the vineyard, would, would make the preparations, would... would own the land, but then employ someone to, to tend to that land, to tend to that vineyard. And you could take a trip or, or go somewhere else. But come time harvest, it was the owner's fruit. It was the owner's fruit. It was the right of the owner to, to, to enjoy the spoils of that harvest. So he sent the servants back to collect what was his. And what happens? They're abused. They're roughed up. Some were stoned. They were killed by these farmers. <laughs> the landowner receives a report. And like, what? What happened? No, this couldn't have happened. He sent more servants back. How would you like to be the second servant? It's like, really? <laughs> we, we just heard what happened to the first group of servants. Come on. The landowner tries again, ever patient, the owner eventually sends his son. Surely, surely, these farmers, these farmers who, who I employ, these farmers who I gave a job to so that they could, they could 
do something with their hands. They could be productive. Surely they'll respect the son. And that didn't happen. The reflection of this story to the nation of Israel just becomes so evident as we listen. As we listen carefully, the, the prophets were, were systematically abused. In the Old Testament, we see the people who carry the message of God are not treated all that well. They were despised. They were neglected. They were abused. Prices were put on their heads. They were thrown out. Some were exiled. Many were ridiculed. So what did God do for the nation of Israel? He sent his son. He sent his son. For the gospel writer, for the Jewish listener, this allegorical parable began to take on rich meaning. Began to take on such rich Meaning, can you imagine the gospel writer, though, as they, as they remember and retell this story? So we, we understand that the gospel of Matthew wasn't written, at, at, there wasn't somebody like following Jesus around, writing down his life. That's not how it worked. Jesus was teaching, and, and they were busy uh, ministering and serving. And so the, the gospel of Matthew likely wasn't written until about year 60 or year 70, 30, 40 years after Jesus' ministry. 30, 40 years after this happened. And can you imagine them remembering this story? It had been passed along uh, verbally between people who were following Christ all along the way. But as they, as they remembered this story, do you remember what he said? He, he said the, the servants were sent and they were abused and ridiculed and killed. And so they sent more. Eventually, he said the, the landowner sent the son. Remember at his baptism, he, he, was, he was dipped down and there was a voice from heaven. What did the voice say? The voice said, this is my son. The gospel writer was just the, having this aha moment. He told us what was going to happen. This is the story of Israel. What did they do to the son in the story? They killed him for the inheritance, for the spoils. What did they do to Jesus? They killed him. His message didn't line up with what they wanted to say. And so the nation of Israel killed the son. Jesus told this story while he was still alive. That's the best time to tell stories, by the way. <laughs> and the son was killed. Jesus masterfully orchestrates this, this moment where, where the temple leaders just own themselves. They just step right in the middle of it. They walk themselves into a major trap in this story. Uh, it reminds me of, of, of Nathan and, and uh, David. Do you remember the story in, in 2 Samuel? I, I think it's chapter 12. The prophet Nathan is, is sent to confront King David. David had had orchestrated the murder of Uriah after sleeping with his wife, getting her pregnant. He tells this story. He says, there's, there's this rich man. In this town, there was this rich man, and he had lots of land. He had lots of sheep, and there was this poor man. And this poor man had one little, solitary, lone lamb. And he had cared for this lamb. 
brought him into his home and tended to the lamb and, and raised him. Well, a visitor comes to see the rich man. He had a friend that came to town, and, and in order to be a good host, he wanted to prepare a meal for him. So instead of slaughtering one of his own lambs, the rich guy takes this poor man's lamb and prepares it for the visitor. Well, David's king. David's like, tell me where this happened. <laughs> this, this is not, he's beside himself with anger. He's ticked off and says, this, this guy, he calls this guy demonic. Whoever this rich man is in this story, he's demonic, he says. He owes this man at least seven times over what he took from the poor man. What does Nathan do in this dramatic pause? In this twist, he says, you are that man. Saying it to the king. <laughs> Prophets had a tough job back then. You are that man and pronounces severe graphic consequences and punishments that will happen to David and to his family. Jesus sets this kind of up for the same kind of thing for, for the Pharisees. This is another outrageous story. This, this shouldn't happen. This is, this is upsetting to the elders and to the leaders. Just so wrong that these farmers would act in this way, that these tenants would try to take for themselves, not, not only try to just take the spoils, but to attack the servants and to kill the son. And he gets to the end of the story and he asks, well, what should the landowner do? Jesus says this in the parable. And I think the Pharisees should have, for their own sake, <laughs> kind of paused, taken a half a beat, but Jesus had just said in the passage before, remember what we said last week, he had just said uh, the tax collectors and prostitutes are experiencing God's kingdom before the temple leaders. <laughs> Maybe they should have just quit right then. Um, but I think they like having the right answers. Pharisees strike me as, as the type who like to, like to know the right answers and are like, ooh, ooh, ooh pick me, pick me. I, I, know the, I know the answer to this one. They said, and they said, totally destroy those wicked farmers. Rent out the vineyard to farmers who will give the fruit at harvest time. And Jesus quotes from Psalm 118 and says, there is a cornerstone of our faith that will be rejected. That, that will be missed, that we won't see, that we won't, it won't capture our attention. We're going to reject it. We're going to turn it away. And that stone would become, for the people of Israel, the cornerstone of their faith. That which our whole faith is built upon. He makes this statement, just like Nathan. He says, all of a sudden, he turns it into to second person. He uses the word you. He says, God's kingdom will be taken from you and given to people who will produce fruit. And with that statement, Jesus makes plain his intent. He, he explains the end of the story. He, he closes the, the loop on, on who everybody is in this story. Makes it plain that the judgment they had just spoken, destroy those wicked tenant farmers, rent out the vineyard to someone else. They had just spoken that about themselves. A couple of things stand out to me in this passage as, as, I, as I turn and, and, and try to 
understand what this has for me, how this can shape me. How does this passage call me to live in a different way? Two things that stand out to me. Uh, the cycle of uh, violence that, that is perpetuated in this story is interestingly done by this word them in verse 41. If you look in, in the passage, it says them in 41. So it's not really, doesn't really tell us. Who said, who said this whole thing about destroying these wicked farmers? We know who it was. It was the Pharisees. But this, this pronoun kind of has, has carried all the way through the chapter. There's a they in verse 31. In verse 27, it says they and them. They in 25. Verse 23 is where we have to go back to who's participating in this conversation with Jesus. Verse 23, before we even started reading today, the chief priests and the elders. Jesus, Jesus doesn't talk about retribution in this passage. That's, that's introduced by the chief priests and the, and the elders. Jesus leaves it completely out. He talks about rejecting the cornerstone. He talks about God's kingdom being stripped from the leaders and given to others. He doesn't talk about destroying them. It's an interesting thought for me. That it wasn't Jesus who talked about retribution and making it right. That was the chief priests, and the elders. We don't have time to really explore that or plumb the depths of that. But the second thing that, that really stood out to me here is the discussion of fruit all the way through this passage. The whole parable, which really reads like an allegory, revolves around the production of fruit harvest. The goal was to establish a vineyard. Establish a vineyard to produce fruit. Produce fruit that was good and useful, not the rotten sour kind the season of harvest harvesting that fruit making money having bounty from the harvest of of the hard work that was put in the hoarding of fruit the tenant farmers who couldn't give it away who didn't want to give it up and their jealous possession of it even in the resolution of this story what does Jesus say Jesus declares the vineyard would be given to those who would give the fruit to the owner in its season. All the way through, we see this discussion of fruit. And I think today, for us, that's where we find our greatest encouragement. That's where the challenge is for us in this text. The reality is that the the Pharisees didn't tend the vineyard for the landowner, for God. In fact, their reaction is recorded. What does it say at the end of the end of the chapter? They made plans to have Jesus arrested, and eventually they would succeed. By the end of the week, they would get it done. But for us, for us, where do we fit in the story? Where do I fit in? Verse 43 says this, Therefore I tell you that God's kingdom will be taken away from you speaking to the Pharisees, will be taken away from you and will be given to a people who produce its fruit. Church, that's us. That's where we fit in. That's what we're called to do. And that's who we're called 
to be. We have been entrusted with this kingdom. It had become clear the temple leaders had been doing, busy doing spiritual things, keeping, keeping the routine going, doing all the right traditions that was common to do at temple. I found myself this week taking, taking inventory. Taking inventory of me. Where's the fruit, Freebird? Where's the fruit? I mean, in a lot of ways, I can, I can look a lot like the temple leaders. In a lot of ways, I'm, I'm the perfect, I, I'm in the perfect place to, to kind of fall into that routine and settle into something that's complacent. It's just routine. Tending to the practice of worship, keeping the traditions and the rhythms of the weeks and the months and doing all the things that we do. And perhaps the invitation for all of us is to examine and to take a look at our lives and ask, where, where's the fruit? What does the fruit look like? What does the fruit look like? We have, we have plenty of examples. Uh, in Galatians, the, the fruit of the Spirit are love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If the Spirit lives in you, you'll see fruit of the Spirit in your life. I ask again, where is the fruit? What about the fruit of loving neighbor? Of loving enemy? Of loving the hardest person in the room to love? Where's that fruit? The fruit of abundant generosity. The the fruit of meaningful connectedness. The fruit of discipleship. And transformation, the fruit of giving ourselves away, the, the fruit of serving others, the fruit of serving the church. I don't know what fruit looks like in your life, and I don't know how to define it. I'm not going to stand up here and say, we all have to do this. We all have to look the same. We're not cookie cutters, uh, cookie cutter Christians. Our journeys are not the same. But the invitation today is to be truly fruitful, intentionally fruitful on our journey. Let us not become like the temple elders, complacent, just cruising along, just doing their thing. I don't think they were doing wrong things until they became actively seeking out to to arrest Jesus. But I think Sometimes it's good to inventory our own lives and ask the simple question, where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? Praise team's gonna come up. We're gonna sing a a closing song, God with us. As we sing these lyrics in this this last song, remember that, that God truly is with us, calling us forward, calling us to be fruitful with our lives for the kingdom's sake. Amen? Amen. May it be so, I pray. Let's, let's pray, and then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for, the, for your word, which instructs us, which calls us, compels us to live into what you have for us. 
I pray today just for, for, for our church family, but, but for me, I pray you would help me to live a fruitful life full of fruit that honors you and looks a lot like the kingdom of God. Be with us, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. As you're able, would you stand? And I invite you to extend your hands out. As we, as we hold our hands out, this is just a, graphic, a, a, a visual representation of receiving from God this benediction. I invite you to hold your hands out this morning. Now to God who is able to make us immeasurably more fruitful than we could ask or imagine by God's power which is at work within us. To God be all the glory in the church and for Christ's kingdom. Amen. Amen. Go in the love of Christ.